Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. It's Monday the 1st of July. Coming up, Boris Johnson visits Kent as his bid to be PM continues. It is absolutely vital that we get ready for a a, a no-deal exit, but I want to stress again and again, I don't believe that that is where we are going to end up. Calls for more youth centres to tackle knife crime. It's not all policing like the politicians want to say, just give the police more powers. It's not as simple as that. You can't arrest your way out of this. Church of England launches Social Media Guide. It talks about truth, kindness and welcome. Says that when you're putting something out on social media, put the truth out. Kent Online News. Well, we're going to start off today with a visit to Kent by Boris Johnson as he continues his bid to be our next Prime Minister. The former Foreign Secretary has been to a garden centre in Sevenoaks to explain how he's planning for Brexit and what might happen if there's a no deal. Well, our political editor, Paul Francis, was among those to question him about how it would all affect Kent. It is absolutely vital that we get ready for a, a, a no-deal exit, but I want to stress again and again, I don't believe that that is where we are going to end up. But we are we not going to end up, up there, what happens? Well, what happens then is, of course, we will get through it, but what is vital, and we will have a very high state of preparedness, but what you can't do is keep saying that we're going to have a deadline of October the 31st, and then say, oh, actually, it's not really a deadline at all, and we could we could delay beyond October the 30th. Because you look at what happened on March the 29th. A huge amount of work was done. The country did get ready. And then, of course, we failed to get out. We failed to get out on April the 8th. And a lot of the, pre- the preparations then sagged back down again. What is vital now is that we commit to coming out on October the 31st. We mean it. We get ready for a no-deal outcome. There would be all sorts of ways in which uh, we would be able to mitigate the experience of coming out of the EU. Uh, There are deals that you you can do on... There are deals that you can do on aviation, on financial services, on uh, on, uh, radioactive material. All, 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 All those are already large, very, very largely done. The huge amount of work has been done. And, of course, what we are additionally preparing in the very unlikely event that we have to use it, is extra support for the agricultural sector, for farmers, uh, for just-in-time supply chains, uh, to make sure that the administrative uh, chains in Northern Ireland are ready, and of course that all the businesses that might in theory have to use customs forms, the 147,000 SMEs that trade exclusively, uh, export exclusively to the EU, they also have the, the right level of preparation. But I want to stress that I don't think that is where we will end up. Already there are a large number of, of deals already in place, which will mean that the impact will be very, very small indeed. And that's, that's where we want will, to end Will up. a government led by you commit to meeting all the costs that these contingency plans of course. Uh, are racking up, particularly in Kent, where public authorities are saying they're being left out of pocket? So of course. Well, don't forget that uh, there will, of course, logically be available to the government if we are forced to, to come out and And this will be the decision of our European friends and partners, by the way. Let's be absolutely clear. It will be they who have decided not to give us the standstill that is so obvious. It will be their decision uh, not to go ahead. There will be a £39 billion dividend that we will be able to spend on 
mitigating any impact. There's, there's lots of uh, complaints about the M20 currently being used uh, for, for a contraflow. Would you step in to see if an alternative we will, we could be will, used? We will make sure that there is uh, every step is taken to, to mitigate impacts of all kinds, whether it's transport in Kent or the agricultural sector in uh, in Wales. We will get it done. But I just say to people, look, you know, this is a, a great country. Uh, we've spent a long time now, three years, uh, waiting to do this. Uh, there are more difficult things in, in the world that a, a country can be asked to do. Uh, ample preparations have already been made uh, to come out on March the 29th. We were very nearly there. Uh, those were allowed to sag back again as a result of not coming out on March the 29th. And that was a, that was a mistake. So it's very important to have a hard deadline, to be absolutely clear about what we're doing and to come out Are, are you, are you worried about the, the, the new ferry capacity contracts which are being advertised? An awful lot of money has been wasted on that. How are you going to keep the cost there? Well, uh, we will prepare for no deal. We will do what it takes, but I'm very, very confident that we will get a result that is uh, overwhelmingly in the interests of businesses and of citizens on both sides of the channel. And after all, the EU is, is governments are composed of sensible people, uh, I believe, who have the interests of their constituents and their businesses at heart as much as we do. They will want to make sure that they protect frictionless trade. They will want to make sure that we continue, we protract the current arrangements of zero tariff, zero quota uh, trade until such time as we've completed the free trade agreement that we're going to do. And it's in the context of that negotiation, after we've come out on October the 31st, that we will be able to address the questions of the facilitations that we'll need for, for frictionless trade in, across the Northern Ireland border and everywhere else. And that is the way to, to do this. You can also read about that visit on Kent Online and watch a report on KMTV. Kent Online reports. Four people have been attacked on a beach in Kent just hours after a brawl involving up to 50 people further around the coast. Police were called to reports of a disturbance in Broadstairs late on Saturday night. A 43-year-old man was arrested after a large fight on the main sands at Margate earlier in the day. Police have searched an area of Dartford following reports a car window was smashed after being shot at. A witness claims to have seen a group of young people hiding in bushes on Prince's Road when it happened over the weekend. Officers have confirmed they are investigating, although no weapons have been found. A woman is still in hospital following a crash in Dartford which killed her 20-year-old daughter. Darcy Bruce Lawrence was a passenger in a car that crashed on East Hill Road just before midnight on Friday. Donna Bruce was seriously injured and is being treated at a hospital in London. Kent Online reports. A man has been arrested following a suspected stabbing in Strood. A man in his 30s was rushed to hospital after police were called to Tamar Drive last night. Meantime, a group that represents young people in Kent is calling for more funding for youth centres to tackle knife crime. The number of recorded incidents of violent crime in Kent and Medway increased by a quarter last year, with more than 870 offences involving a knife or sharp instrument. Alex McGovern from Kent Youth County Council has been speaking to our community reporter, Eliza Sharp. It's hard to say one root cause. I think there are quite a lot of causes interlinking. I mean, there was a speaker um, called Donna Jukes who was talking about how she worked with critically at risk young people. And she felt that, and I agree with this, that austerity and government cuts have caused a lack of aspirations for young people. So with no youth centres, they can't 
kind of talk to trusted adults about their mental health problems and with lacking uh, funding for education they're not learning about careers that they might want to get involved in so they're just kind of left to fight for themselves and make money in ways um, that are illegal because it's just much easier they don't know how to get out of the cycle because they have no aspiration they have no value on their life and I think especially in these kind of poor communities people turn to violent crime to protect themselves because they're scared of other people. I mean, with uh, county lines and gangs and postcode wars, um, people are scared to go out in the street um, and j- without a knife because yeah. they're, it, it, they're not so much scared of getting caught by the police and being stopped and searched. It's that someone will come and stab them or something like that. So people are scared. Yeah, and it seems people are more scared about losing their lives now than going to prison. Yeah. Because at least they'll have a life. Yeah. And so talk to me about the Youth Council and what plans do you guys have? So I think the Youth Council kind of were being quite realistic about it. We know that it's not all policing like the politicians want to say, just give the police more powers. It's not as simple as that. You can't arrest your way out of this. What needs to be done is take a more holistic Uh, public health approach just like Scotland did so what we want to do is convince local authorities to use their funding to fund more education and youth services they need to reform their careers education so it's not all about Pythagoras theorem and about quadratic inequalities and protein synthesis that we're learning it's forming a person so more kind of teaching of soft skills like how to write a CV uh, showing people the diverse um number of careers uh, due to the diverse interests of young people so that they have aspirations and that they realise oh there's a career that I actually want to do and they turn away from crime saying I want to you know I want to become a mechanic or I want to become a mathematician whatever secondly we think um, that young offenders institutions aren't working so three quarters of youth offenders from young offender institutions re-offend in a year that's ridiculous imagine if three quarters of patients who went to a hospital came back a year later because they weren't cured the government wouldn't put up with that so we think that locking inmates in solitary confinement or with other criminals for 21 22 23 hours a day is not going to cause them to become better people it's going to make it worse we think we there needs to be more education and courses in these um young offender institutions and better quality so for example uh release on temporary license where in the last quarter of their sentence young offenders can go out and um you know get training get qualifications get the skills needed for a job so that when they come out of prison they're not going to end up back inside. They can get a job and they can earn money again. And obviously when they're young offenders, they lose a big part of their childhood. Mm. Whereas when you go to prison when you're older, you've already lived that part of your life and that is when you're developing as a person. Uh, In prisons, they do offer um, education to the older in the older ones, but yeah. not in the younger ones. Kids are supposed to be in education until they're 18 now anyway. How do you feel as a young person about what the government and police are doing on the streets? I think um, that the government and police aren't doing enough, especially the government who I would blame here, because I think they're trying to kind of take cuts from everywhere and won't accept that that's their fault. I mean, Theresa May, uh, the Prime Minister, said that there's no direct link between police cuts and violent crime, <laughs> which is just ridiculous yeah. i think in terms of policing um because i was watching like the debate last night between boris johnson and jeremy hunt and boris johnson said oh just give the police more power let's support them but as i said earlier you can't arrest your way out of this i think what is needed is to build trust in police because black and minority ethnic groups they feel that the police don't 
care about them. They don't trust the police. There's a wall of silence. I mean, I think a Safer Life survey uh, found that 46% of young people wouldn't tell the police if they felt they were going to be a victim of crime. So I think what needs to happen is there needs to be more community policing. So police in areas um, of the community just watching, walking around to build trust in police. And that can lead to more intelligence sharing and falling violence. And also stop and search is a big issue at the moment. Um, The Home Secretary wants to you know, increase stop and search powers. I think stop and search has its places, but it needs to be reformed. So I think it needs to be more targeted, focused um, on gangs and not just stopping and searching everyone in an area, especially nine times more likely for black and minority ethnic groups to be stopped and searched. And that leads them to not trust the police and they're a greater wall of silence that happens. So reforming stop and search so it's more targeted uh, and giving people dignity is so important. Now, if you've got a story you think should be covered by our community reporters, you can drop them a message on social media using hashtag KMCommunity. Kent Online News. The Church of England has published a social media guide in an effort to tackle online abuse and misleading content. Now, the charter is centred on five principles of truth, kindness, welcome, inspiration and togetherness. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, hopes to create a more positive online atmosphere. He's been speaking to Facebook's EMEA Vice President Nicola Mendelssohn. It talks about truth, kindness and welcome. So it's that when you're putting something out on social media, put the truth out. Yeah, frankly, there are no, there's no such thing as an alternative fact. There is truth. There is absolute truth. There's opinion and there's truth. When you're expressing an opinion, show kindness. Don't go for the person rather than for the issue. And be welcoming uh, to other people. Don't throw out stuff that means, you know, you can, one can tweet or, or post in a way that is just, you know, is a shutout. And that's not the point of social media, which is social media. And um, so those are, those are the key guidelines. And we're offering them as guidelines uh, and within our own social media platforms, they will be enforced. That, that, that there will be moderation, which ensures that people don't, as far as we can manage it, lie, act cr- with cruelty, or use jargon and religious jargon in a way that um, ontologically results in epistemological confusion, to use some religious jargon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that means that people know what's being said right. for translating, yeah, and absolutely. by whom, and what kind of people we are, and that they understand what it means to say something. Because I, I know it's a cliche, but it is so true. When people put things on social media, they forget, A, they're publishing, and be there talking about people. And is this something that you would say to someone you care about, whose humanity you respect? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And and you're an avid user of uh, social media. You have a very large following. How do you actually use it? Um, I use it, I hope, prudently. Um, I hope with a certain transparency. There's an old thing that, that's, that's in the New Testament and the Bible, Christian Bible, which says, uh, walk in the light. 
and uh, it's in an epistle, a letter written to a bunch of churches in the first century by a guy called John. And it says, walk in the light. In other words, be transparent. Be yourself. Don't hide yourself. Don't act in the darkness. And so I try and walk in the light. I try and be honest about myself. I try and be honest about other issues. I mean, yesterday, I, I posted a tweet yesterday. I read an article in a newspaper by Dominic Lawson, very well-known journalist, talking about a legal case he'd been in, which was to protect um, uh, uh, young people with learning difficulties and ensure their parents, where they have real, really serious learning difficulties or moderate learning difficulties, that their parents can still have a role in, in looking after them, in nurturing them, the ones who know them and love them best, unless there's a clear reason why not. And I, I read that article and I thought, why hadn't I said that? I was really ashamed that I hadn't taken part in that campaign. So I put on the tweet what a good article it had been, and I also put on the tweet that I was humbled by reading it. So it was trying to be positive, but also transparent. You can watch all of his Facebook live chat on the website. Tickets for next year's Golf Open Championship in Kent have gone on sale today. It's being staged at Royal St George's in Sandwich in 2020 for the 15th time. Members will have access to priority tickets to see the world's best compete for the Claret Jug. And 16 pubs have been included in a list of the best in the UK. A record 2,000 venues are included in this year's The Pub Guide with 550 being singled out as the very best. The ones in Kent include the Bull at Benenden, the Dove Inn in Canterbury and the Star and Eagle in Goudhurst. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can, of course, head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.